Well, 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 I have returned. <laughs> function. I have returned. Yes. Well, today was just a wonderful day. Um, we got up, well, I got up kind of early, but um, got up at a reasonable hour, like 7 in the morning, 7.30, something like that. Because I don't have to labor like most people. Anyway, got up. <sighs> um, to shower, all the basic stuff, shower, clean, you know, all that stuff. And then Claire and I headed out. Well, we decided that we were going to go to Idaho Falls, a couple hours away from where she lives. Um, and along the way, I wanted to stop and have breakfast before we hit the open road. I mean, two-hour drive is a two-hour drive, so it's nice to have a little bit of break fast before you embark on such a journey. Every freaking restaurant outside of the town she lives in, well, we planned on going to, because she made a suggestion that we go to Alpine. Oh, I think Alpine is 40 minutes north of where she lives. Something like that. So anyways, I said, oh, yeah, because we had had, we had eaten at this restaurant before. So I said, yeah, no, it sounds great. We go there. They're only closed on Wednesday. They're open every other day. Closed on Wednesday. So it was like, son of a... Mm. So, you know, and I'm a very optimistic person. So she was a little peeved. And I said, Claire, you know, no big thing. Let's just go to the next town. And, you know, what's the next town? Swan Valley. I said, okay, fine. We'll go to Swan Valley. And I'm sure there's something there. There was a restaurant with a four out of five rating. So 4.8, rather. Out of five. That's pretty good. We get there. They're closed. It was like, what the hell? So every restaurant along the way was closed. It's crazy. So we didn't get to have breakfast till we got to um, Idaho Falls, and it was at a Denny's in a very sketchy, sketchy area. Of course, Idaho Falls is a sketchy place anyway, but, but this particular area, Idaho Falls, wow. <clears throat> so anyway, so we go there. The waitress... Is you can tell the woman's had like a, a hard, hard life. You could, and I'm not just talking about from the tattoos on her hand. I can tell from the careborn face and the, her demeanor. You could tell she had a very hard life. It will still has a very hard life. It's not like she had one. She's still living one. You could tell. Um, but seeing that, I wanted to raise her spirit. So. I did my normal my normal interaction and charm, and then she was standing around laughing with us and talking to us, um, because I hate the doom and gloom in people. I hate it. it's, it's hard for me to, you know, I can ignore people if they're bastards, or if the woman's to see you next Tuesday, I can ignore that type of behavior. But if I see in someone goodness, even though their life is like in the sewer, um, if I can see a goodness in the person, I want to raise their spirits, naturally want to raise their spirits. So from there we went to, we had breakfast and we left and went to the Idaho Falls Temple, which is beautiful. And then from there, where did we go after that? Mm, dang. Oh, we rode around and looked at things. Then we went to Walmart. Walmart's Walmart. Walmart is the same wherever you go, even the people. It's like they only hire people who are, 
you know, what I would call homogenous Walmart employee types. So if you go to a Walmart in frickin' Russia, there would be the same type of experience you'd have with the, you know, the employees that you would have in frickin' Kansas or Utah or anywhere else. It's, I don't get it, but it's just the way it is. So we went there, got some groceries and stuff, pissed and moaned about the store, and then left and came back home and just sat around watching Downton Abbey and talking to each other. This is your introduction, in case you're wondering what the hell's going on here. Um, and when I was sitting there, because I'm big on fruit, like raspberries and blueberries and drinking that sparkling grape juice stuff, I like that stuff. And, uh, you know, some chocolate and whatever. When I was sitting there talking to my daughter about, you know, her life and the things she wants and all this different kind of stuff, I found myself daydreaming in a way because I do that even when I'm talking to people they don't know what I'm daydreaming even though I'm interacting with them and you know they don't realize I'm thinking about other things too and I was thinking about this one thing I was thinking about how when I was younger I was never popular only had three or four best friends never never like on a, a team if I was on a team or something it was like I was not really part of the team um, even when I played um, neighborhood football and made interceptions or did some, uh, or, you know, whatever sport it was, if I was really good, oh, they would say, like archery, for instance, and rifles. Uh, like when we go hunting with 22 rifles, I was an excellent shot. I mean, I didn't miss, let's put it that way. Well, with a bow and arrow, I was a very good shot with a bow and arrow. Um, I could, you know, run really fast or... I could just get on any horse and ride the thing. So there are things that, you know, people would go, oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, George, you're, you're, that's really good, man, or something like that. And that was it. <laughs> there was no real connection with these people. I wasn't vilified, but I was not really accepted. Well, anyways, I was thinking about that when I was talking to my daughter. And then I was, I fast forwarded, like, through different stages of my life. And I, it was like I remembered. It came to my, it came to the forefront of my mind, how, uh, man, how I yawned. I was remembering how all through my life, people would ask me philosophical questions. It was like they didn't even really care for me. You know, these some did. Some people were really close to me, like my three or four best friends or the girls that I'd messed around with who were friends. But people in general, even if they didn't really care for me, would always come to me and ask me these deep philosophical questions. You know, it was, it was just really weird. I was thinking about that, how weird it is that people who, even people who don't even care for me, will still come to me and ask me these deep philosophical questions or for my advice or helping them to see something. They'll tell me something and they'll say, oh, this is the classic. They'll come and they'll say, um, or call me and they'll say, yeah, I had this experience. So this is going on in my life and this is what's happening. Um, and they'll say, I, I think I know what's going on. Um, and this is what I think. And they'll tell me, but they'll always say, what do you think is going on? 
like, like, like I'm going to be able to tell them things they can't see. Well, sometimes I can. Sometimes it's so basic. I can't understand why they can't see it. But anyway, one time, yes, we're going to get to it if you stay with me. One time someone asked me, um, what, was, what is, they said, what is, of all the things you've ever wanted in life, um, what is the greatest um, desire you, <clears throat> what is the greatest desire you've ever had? That was, that's the basic question, though. Of if all the things that you could have in life, what's, what's the greatest desire you could have? And I, I thought about it for a long time. Um, and the, the truth is, there's a lot of things. But I think the greatest thing of all the things, I'm trying to think exactly how to word it, because um, it's not for riches and things like that. Um, God, I'm drawing a blank now. I think the greatest thing really is to, to really know myself. That's, that's the biggest thing. Um, I'm very optimistic. I'm forward thinking. I'm a believer in people and stuff. So I'm not saddled with, um, you know, with the, with the things that a lot of people are saddled with. So when I was thinking about it, I said this, this, and then it came to me what, what the real desire of all things, what the real desire of as a person, as a person. And that was, I said to him, I wish I, I wish I didn't have any regrets. And they were like shocked. They said, that's it? And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's very important to me. I wish I could say I never had, never had any regrets. So in other words, I wished I would have been able to live my life with no regrets. Well, of course, that's impossible. I, th I think unless you're an idiot. If you're an idiot, you can believe it. But I think for a person with, well, uh, an honest person, they would have to admit that um, life is filled with regrets. And that's what I'm going to talk about now. Life is filled with regrets. We all fall short or we all make mistakes and make decisions we wish we would have not made or wish we would have made better decisions or whatever the case may be. Regrets take the form of many different things associated with life. Sometimes the, regret, the regrets are misplaced. Um, we really shouldn't regret that because uh, we weren't really responsible for what happened anyway. Many people have regrets for things that were not their responsibility or they didn't really um, cause to happen in the first place. But they feel some people just feel natural regret when things don't work out. And they had something, you know, some part in it. And knowing that we have regrets and wishing that we wouldn't have done things we did or said things we said or whatever the form the, that the regret takes, I would propose the remedy for that, besides just change, the remedy for that is, is having hope. You know, and, and not just hope in the South, but having hope and desire. I would say hope and desire um, really fortify a person against um, becoming enveloped in their regret and having the regret 
dictate the way they're going to live their life. Um, I can't tell you how many people have told me over the years, I'm just not good enough. I'm just not smart enough. Um, I, I made these mistakes. I'm just going to have to live with them for the rest of my life. And I like one person, she said to me, I made a lot of mistakes in my life. And I said, hasn't everybody? And she said, well, yeah, but I just made so many. This is, she said, I made so many mistakes in my life. Um, that this is just how my life's going to be. And I said, well, why would you think that? And she said, George, I've just made so many mistakes. I've ruined my life. And I said, you're still living your life. How can you say you've ruined something you're still living in? You can change. You can do something about it. And she said, because the mistakes I made were so big, I'm, I can never get over them. And I said, only if you choose not to. Yeah. But she had made some serious friction. I mean, the stuff this woman did was incredible. But like I said to her, you made those mistakes when you were younger. Are you making them now? No. And I said, well, then you've changed. You're not the same person. So your life is not the same as it would have been if you would have continued making those mistakes, correct? And she said, yes. So I said, so why are you clinging to the guilt of something you did that you don't even do anymore? It doesn't make sense to me as a person that you would be punishing yourself and limiting yourself on something you did before that you're not doing now. I said, that's no offense, but that's stupid. And she said, I know it's stupid. I just don't know how to stop doing it. Well, I'm going to tell you what I told her, if any of you struggle with this. You stop doing it by realizing there's nothing you can do about what you did you can only do about what you can do that's what you have the only um authority or exercise of action we have is about the things that we can do not the things we have done that's it because I, I just am amazed when people say i'm going to change my past no you're not going to change your past you're going to change your present and perhaps your future. Um, I don't understand. For me, past, present, and future are clearly, you know, divided, clearly defined. Um, for me, there is no time overlap between past, present, and future. There are philosophical, and there are emotional, and things of that nature. But there is not, I mean, past, present, and future are equally divided, and they go moment to moment. So you live in the present in the moment, but that moment becomes a past as the future becomes present. Uh, I try to teach people this to help them break the cycle of the grip that their past has on them. So some people are so tethered to their past, they don't really have a future because the present that they're living in is really based on their past. And it's, it's going around in the circle because you cannot have a future without a present. And if your present is being lived in the past, you, you can't even have a present. You're living in the past. And living in the past means you're trying to correct things that you have no power to correct. It's done with. It's over with. Um, if you have hope, and this is what I would I would say. You have to begin with desire. 
whatever it is, you have to have a desire for it, whether it's a desire to lose weight or a desire to be to work on time or a desire to be a better mother or father, whatever the thing in your life is that you have a desire for. You begin with a desire and then you support it with the hope. Um, I'll give you a classic. I'm going to give a classic example of how I counsel people to help people. Um, I know this woman. Well, I know a guy is losing weight, too, but I'm going to talk about the woman in particular because men can be fat asses and not really think much of it. <laughs> men, men just, you know, yeah, well, anyway. But women are really affected by weight, their appearance. And, you know, can't blame them. If I was a woman, I would like to think I was attractive. Thank goodness I'm not a woman. I don't struggle with, with those things. But um, she was trying to lose weight. And this is she, like most women, but I have a lot of experience for women, so I can navigate the freaking treacherous waters of dealing with women. She said to me um, that she was going to lose weight. And I said, great. And she said, why, do you think I'm overweight? I said, you just told me you were going to lose weight. I'm supporting you. Yeah, but you must say, you must be supporting me because you think I need to lose weight. And I thought, son of a bitch, woman. Are you really that dense? And I said, no, I think you look pretty good. Would I look better if I lost weight? I said, I don't care. I, I said, Why are you asking me these questions? And she said, I just want to know. And I said, no, I think you look pretty good right now. But if you wanted to lose weight, that's a personal decision. I don't know if it's going to improve your appearance because until I see you after you've lost the weight, I really can't make a judgment. That's not what she wanted to hear. But anyway, so she said, well, I decided I'm going to stop drinking soda and eating ice cream. And I said, well, that's good. This stuff's bad for you anyway. And she told me her little regimen. <clears throat> and she said, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to lose 20 pounds a month. And I said, 20 pounds a month like that? Because I was kind of shocked. And she said, yeah. And I said, well, how many months are you going to do this? And she said, until I reach my goal. And I said, what's your goal? And she says, I don't know. I'm just, when I look in the mirror, I'll decide if I look small enough or thin enough. And I said, well, like, what are you, like 140 pounds? And she was 145. She looked good with her weight. And I don't know why she felt like she needed to lose weight, but. I didn't really care. It's her decision. But she said, um, I said, 140 like that. She goes, no, I'm 145. I said, okay, five pounds. What's the difference? I said, 20 pounds a month? In seven months, you'll weigh five pounds. <laughs> I said, it's ridiculous. And she said, no, I mean, I'm going to try to lose 20 pounds a month, and then I'm going to see what I need to do if it doesn't work out. Well, it didn't work out. I think she only lost like seven pounds, something like that maybe eight pounds. So she came to me. Um, and like most women, they want you to say, oh, well, you look, you lost weight. If, if you tell a man you're, you're going to diet and lose weight, the women are expecting you to say, oh, well, you look like you lost weight. I'm not that person. <laughs> if I don't think you did, I'm not going to say anything. And I might not say anything anyway, because I don't want to freaking mess things up. But I would... I didn't see a way. I didn't see that she had lost eight pounds or seven pounds, or whatever. I couldn't see the difference, and I couldn't give a damn, to be honest with you. I don't care about stuff like that. 
So she said, you know, well, do I look different? And I said, no, because I tell her the truth. And I said, no, you look the same to me. Why? So, well, George, I've lost, like, I think, seven or eight pounds. Let's just say eight to give her the benefit of the doubt. She said, I've lost eight pounds. And I said, really? And she said, yes, really. And I said, well, it doesn't show. Maybe it was water. You know, I started to think, how could you, you know. She said, no, you don't get it. That's all I lost. And I said, but why does that matter? And she said, because I wanted to lose 20 pounds. And I said, okay. So maybe you lost eight pounds this month. Maybe next month you only lose another seven or eight pounds. So mathematically, you know, it's going to take almost three months worth of dieting and changing your habits to get down to 20 pounds. So what does it matter if it takes three months or one month? Why not just be happy that you will lose the 20 pound goal after three months and not be so hung up on the time frame as much as you are on the losing of the weight. And she said, well, I didn't think of it that way. I said, well, I don't, I'm not an expert on weight and diets and stuff, but I can tell you what I've read. I've read several times that if you lose the weight slowly, you gain it back slowly. But if you lose it quickly, you gain it back quickly. So I said, if your goal is to lose the 20 pounds um, and you want to keep the weight off, it seems to me that everything I've read indicates lose it slowly, um, kind of like to hedge against gaining it back. So if you lose it quickly, you might gain it back quickly. and You wouldn't be happy with that. Right? I said, no, I wouldn't. I said, well. Then the trade-off is it's taking you longer to lose it, but it means that your body will be less inclined to gain it back quickly. So if you do lose 20 pounds <clears throat> and you look at yourself and you think, oh, I look pretty good. Yeah, I like it. You're satisfied with the results. If the weight begins to creep up on you, it'll be gradual and there won't be this culture shock of seeing yourself looking really good, and all of a sudden you're freaking big. When I said 145 to me is not big. She's like 5'7 or 5'8. Um, even at 5'4 or 5'5, five, five, I don't think that's a lot of weight. So the point I was trying to make to her was um, change your perspective, change your outlook, you know. Um, in other words, have the desire to lose weight and have the hope that you will and then work toward it, but be patient. In the time frames, be patient with yourself. Um, don't give up. Don't become, don't regret the fact that you couldn't lose it as quickly as you could. Um, celebrate the fact that you were eventually able to reach, reach your goal and be happy with that. I think many times people self, they sabotage themselves. Um, Oh, I can't even tell you how many times I, people I've known would tell me that they wanted, well, let's say a job for instance. That's the easiest thing to illustrate. I'd have somebody say to me, um, I'm going back to work. I'm going to find a job. Okay. So I ask them to have a resume. They say yes. I say, okay. Is it current? They say yes. And I say, okay. So they apply for a job. Then the person will say to me, I can't believe it. Um, I've got an interview with a company. So I'll encourage them. I said, okay, well, you know, dress well, um, have your hair, you know, in other words, look professional. 
don't, you know, and, and handle the interview like you're interviewing them. So I'll try to give them a few tips, having interviewed a lot of people and knowing what they're, what they look for and what they want and you know, stuff like that. I try to coach them a little and prepare them for the interview. Um, and then they go into view. So they'll, what they'll do is they'll, they'll call me, usually call me and they'll say, I can't believe it. I got the job. And I said, well, I can believe it. <laughs> I would have hired you because it's true. If I wouldn't, if I wasn't going to hire them, or if I would, in, the, in other words, if they would, if I would have interviewed them and found them wanting, I would have told them I wouldn't have hired you either. But they'll say, "Yeah, I can't believe it. I got, I got the job," and I'll say, "No surprises here. Of course, you got the job. You should have gotten the job." Shortly after, they'll begin to to talk about all the things they're having to deal with. Um, you know, the things that they're finding out about the job now that they didn't know that are discouraging. They don't realize they're self-sabotaging. Because the what I tell people most of the time when I feel impressed to, uh, it's easy to get the it's easy to get an interview and it's easy to get a job. The difficulty is keeping the job once you've got it. Because there are always going to be things that come up that were unanticipated or not going to fit into your, you know, the, the exact desire or working conditions that you expected. There's a, comp companies always do that kind of stuff. They change things. Um, they add responsibilities without adding compensation. Um, there's, there's many different things that companies do uh, that can irk people. I usually tell people, be be prepared for the unexpected. So if you hash out a deal with a company for so much money to do so much work, always expect they're gonna they're gonna ask more of you. They may expect more of you. Um, expect that you're going to be working with people who you're not gonna like. Uh, that seems to be a common thread. Um, you always seem to end up with people who you don't prefer to be involved with. Well, guess what? You, you you've got to get you have to work with them so there's going to be involvement with them even if you don't like them you may have to work with them so i, I tell them don't get close to them don't establish a relationship other than a working relationship with them which means you're diplomatic you're polite you don't have opinions about things you don't get involved in their gossip um, you keep detached you keep a detachment from them. So you have a professional persona when you work with them and that's it. That's you. That's it. And that's what they see every day. And that's what they get used to. They don't, you don't tell them your private business. You don't tell them your hopes and dreams. You don't tell them your prejudices, opinions, nothing. Um, because it's not appropriate. They're not your friend. They're somebody you work with. So you conduct yourself um, as an employee. Not a friend, because you're not their friend, and they're certainly not yours. And if you think they are, prepare yourself for disappointment, because they will screw you. That's how people are. Maybe they're jealous of you. Maybe they're envious um, that things come easier to you. There's so many different things that people find fault with other people. There's so many things they find fault with with other people. The way that ties into the desire and hope is you had a desire for a job. 
your hope was you would get a you were going to get a job. Now you need to ratchet up your hope to keeping that job. Conducting yourself in such a way as an employee, not as a person, as an employee. And don't get so hung up on the little idiot, you know, idiosyncrasies of the company or the, you know, personality of the people you work with and things like that. I would say be very neutral and um, conduct yourself as an employee, not a person. And don't have regrets that you couldn't foresee these things or don't feel cheated because now more is being expected of you. That's a price you have to pay with most businesses. Um, the price we have to pay as employees is we're going to work with people we really don't want to work with or don't care for. Um, the company is going to make more demands of us without the compensation. These are just everyday you know, conditions that a person faces in the workforce. Maybe sometimes something really great will happen. Um, you know, so in other words, maybe you will benefit more than you're being compensated for. Maybe you'll be hired in the position that you're not really qualified for, but they're willing to train you. And so you're basically getting free training. You're being paid to be trained. And then maybe the money is not where you think it should be, but you're not qualified for the position anyway. You might have some you know, specialized talent that makes you valuable, but you don't have the expertise to really be in the position, but they're willing to pay you for the position and train you. So put up with the BS for a while. Learn the position. In other words, I tell people this too, and I'm sure it's all about employment. This seems to be something to discuss. I always tell people, don't take a job with the mindset that this is the last job you're going to have. You should take a job thinking that this job is going to help prepare me for the next job or a higher position or greater responsibility. You should be constantly, th I just gave this counsel to my son because he's, uh, he's born in 1991. So you can do the math real quick. Uh, if he was born in 91 and it's 2021 now. Yeah. He's in the middle of his, career basically that's where he's at meaning he's positioned where he needs to get to move up and get as, as high the highest position he can that's the most secure and provides him with the compensation he's worth he's in uh, computer encryption and internet security um you know protocols and so he's he's got a good education he's very good at what he does he makes very good money. <laughs> I mean, he's doing well. Very demanding job, and you got to get things right all the time. Tremendous pressure for things to be right the first time, not the second, third, and fourth. The first time when you do something, when you identify a threat to the network, because uh, he does several different things. He does network security, does encryption, he does anti-hacking protocols. He does a lot of stuff. So anyway... These are things that, like jet mechanics, jet airplane mechanics, you cannot make mistakes with a plane going up with 200 people on it. You can't, you know, fail to, to do something you're supposed to do and the plane crash and kill everybody. So these are jobs where 
everything you do has to be precise. Now, a lot of jobs aren't, but these are, you know, nuclear physicists and different things like this. These are jobs that require a level of precision that is almost absolute, so they're willing to pay or they demand that kind of pay for that kind of precision. Um, but what I tell people is, is no matter what your career is, um, when you hit between 35 to 45 years old, the sweet spot is 35 to 40. Um, you can still recover and make it work by the time you're 45. But usually after 45, you're on your way out the door. You're in most businesses, they think a person at 55 and beyond typically is losing their edge and they're not as valuable to the company as a person who's in their 30s. Who's gonna, who could potentially be at the company for easily another 20 years when at 45, they expect 10 years for you. So knowing you only have 10 good years to give to the company, you're not as desirable as a 35-year-old who has the potential of giving 20 years of his life to the company. And that's how they view those things. So a person who's 45 years old has got to get his or her rear-ending rear gear and make themselves desirable and as essential as possible to the company in order to get to the position they need to before they retire. And that's what I was counseling my son on. Um, you've got to use the company as a stepping stone to get into a directorship or something um, where you're making 200 plus a year and you have a very secure position and you're supervising other people. Other people are doing the regular work. You're ensuring that the quality and the delivery is on time and perfect, as perfect as can be. And so that's your responsibility. None of these things, well, let me just rephrase that. Nothing in life can ever be accomplished properly without desire and hope. And vision comes after hope. Now, you might say, well, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, yes, it does. Because the vision isn't just having an idea. Having a vision is to see the beginning to the end and knowing how you're going to get to the end when you're at the beginning. That's what vision is. Desire is just having uh, something that you want. Hope is the catalyst for, for, in other words, you have a desire to be uh, a swimmer. Well, the hope is that if you do the work, if you learn how to swim and you do the, you know, the practice to swim, the hope is you'll be a swimmer. The vision, and this is what's, is how am I going to become, when you can't swim and you're standing there as a 10-year-old kid, the vision is what you are going to do and what you need to do to become a swimmer um, and you see yourself as someone who is a good swimmer. In all walks of life, in everything in life, whether it's spiritual or financial or emotional uh, or academic, you know, these, these three components are essential to reaching our potential. Because if somebody doesn't really have a desire to be anything, they're not going to do anything about it. If they have the desire, but they don't hope, have the hope that they'll ever be anything, they won't be anything. And if they don't have, if they have the 
desire and hope, but they don't have the vision, they'll never see themselves arriving at the end. Yeah, and that's the truth. And then I'm sure every one of us knows people, um, we know people in our lives, who we can look at this, what I just said, and examine it and say, yeah, I know people like that. They're the same people now in their 40s and 50s they were in their 20s or teenage years. Nothing has really changed for them. Nothing ever changes in the past. I'm going to say this as I close. For people who live in their past, nothing really changes because they're living in their past and the past does not change. For people who live in the present, things are always changing, but those things quickly become the past. And that's why people who live for the moment, for instance, always reminisce about past events, parties, the boyfriends, girlfriends, cars they used to own. Um, but people who are future-looking people, meaning people, and you can do this in the three steps. People who have desire live in the past. People who have hope and desire live in the present. People who have hope, desire, and vision live for their future. There's, there's a relationship between past, present, and future that is directly related to um, desire, hope, and vision. And if you want a future, you have to have all three. If you want to have a present, you can have the first two. If you just want to live in your past, just have desire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, that's it. I'm not going to say any more on the subject. I think I've said quite, quite enough. If you haven't got it, I'm, I just, yeah, I'll pray for you because I think I made myself quite clear. You just have to decide for yourself. As I said this before, I'll say it again. If you do not take control of your life and make decisions for your, for your life, for yourself, life will make those decisions for you. Or worse, yes, worse, other people will. And other people will be making the decisions for you in your life and screwing your life up like a wet dream. And that's the truth. Okay, well, <laughs> didn't really want to end with a wet dream, but um, just think about it, because these things are true. Um, as we can see, people who are very successful and, and live very well-regulated and satisfying, peaceful, happy lives. We see people whose lives are just a freaking, they're a train wreck. Um, and we find ourselves saying, I am thrilled my life is not like theirs. I know I say it to myself, but I still have things I need to improve on. I'm not there yet, but I'm a lot closer. Yeah. All right. That's it. Um, oh, was it hostile beast? Whatever. I'll just say I'll feed his aim. <laughs>